0: There are so many ways you can support HUG. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support.
1: I've learned that you need to follow your instinct and do your research and seek out specialists in areas that you need help in.
0: is a vascular ring, how can a person have a heart defect that is actually outside the heart? Who is Carly Valentine, and why should you buy her book for your heart warrior? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski, and the mother of an adult with a critical congenital heart defect. My child is 27 years old, my inspiration, and the reason I am the host of your program, Today's show is Mom Trusting Her Gut and Finding an Expert from Afar, and our guest is Carly Valentine. We'll start today's program by learning a bit about Carly and her immediate family in segment one. In the second segment, we'll talk about the themes she discusses in her writing, and in the final segment, we'll learn more about the books that she has written and where to find them. And we'll also get a sneak peek at some other books that she's hoping to write soon. Carly Valentine lives with her husband and their two sons, Finnegan and Lachlan, in Ogden, Utah. Finnegan was born with a heart defect, which contributed to other medical challenges. Carly's experiences as a mother have informed her as an author. She has written several children's books that explore themes, including congenital heart defects, Attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, emotional regulation, executive dysfunction, and airway disorders. She hopes to share the magic of books with children to instill a passion for reading. When she's not writing, she enjoys spending time with her family and volunteering at her son's school or with CHD charities. She is the author of six children's books, including Turkey Trot, Bad Habit Rabbit, and more. You can learn more about her through her website, and I will have her link in my show notes, and we'll also be talking to her about that in the third segment. Make sure you follow her on Facebook, though. This is super easy. Just look for Carly Valentine Author and spell Carly, C-A-R-L-I, Valentine Author, and then you can learn more about her on Facebook. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Carly. Thank you, Anna. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to another heart mom. It always makes my day when I get a chance to meet somebody else who has a heart warrior just like I do. Yes, I'm so happy I can share this time with you. Let's start by talking about Finnegan. When did you discover that he had a heart defect?
1: Well, my story is a little bit different than most other heart moms that I've come across. We actually didn't find out that my son had a heart defect until he was around 18 months of age. And I kind of always felt like something might be a little bit off with him medically. Ever since he was born, I just had this gut instinct, but he was my first child. So I kind of just reassured myself that it was just new mom jitters and everything was okay. But as time progressed, he started to have some difficulties breathing and also trouble swallowing and eating. And he actually got to the point around 18 months where he just could not keep foods down. He was projectile vomiting. He had presented like he had constant croup symptoms and he was very ill. He had like that super, super barky cough and it would just not go away. And so... Deep down in my gut, I just knew this isn't normal. Something's going on, and I think the thing that finally pushed me to figure out what was really wrong was just the night before we actually had scheduled an esophagram at our children's hospital. We were sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner and he had a couple bites of food and just projectile vomited all over. And I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is not normal. What is going on with my child?" So the next day we went to my children's hospital that was closest to us. And that is where we got diagnosed and we started our
0: entry into the CHD world. Wow. So here you go in thinking something's not right. My kid isn't able to keep anything down. And then you discover it's not like he has a stomach problem. He has a heart defect. That must have been shocking for you.
1: It was very shocking. We thought maybe that he had gotten into something and eaten something and it was mm-hmm. blocking his esophagus right. and making it hard for him to swallow. The person doing the esophagram said sometimes kids will get a coin, you know, find one on the floor or something and swallow or a it. Or Lego
0: or yeah. Yeah, a and battery. Yeah. And that can cause like a that.
1: blockage. Mm-hmm. And as we were walking the hall, I was still kind of in denial, even though I had sure. a gut instinct. But I remember looking at all the pictures on the walls from all the little kids that were inpatient that had drawn all these cute little stick finger drawings and thinking, oh, we're so blessed. My son's having issues, but we're not at the children's hospital all the time with serious medical yeah. problems. And yes. little did I know, like oh literally gosh. we were going to walk in a room and everything was going to kind of come tumbling down. So well, that was a whole big world shock changed. for my family. Yeah, sure. your whole it world did.
0: changes when you get that diagnosis. So I'm sure you were in shock. I'm sure it was terrifying.
1: It was for sure. And after we met with the person doing their esophagram, we actually called our pediatrician. It wasn't an exact diagnosis at that point. It was a speculation because they needed to do further testing to verify that that's what sure. it was. But mm-hmm. when speaking with my pediatrician, he was just basically reassuring me that this is probably not what they think. I've never had a child with this type of heart defect in all my years of being a pediatrician. And come to find out, it was exactly what that person reading the the esophagram thought. The radiologist was 100% correct.
0: Wow, I've never even heard of an esophagram. What I'm guessing is, especially since you just said radiologist, where they maybe insert dye? In your baby's esophagus? So they
1: lay them down on like a board basically to keep them straight because they have to have a good view of their swallow. Mm -hmm. And then they feed them, I don't know exactly what's in it, but some kind of liquid to basically be able to see everything go down and watch it go down. Almost like a swallow city, but it looks, I guess, at more areas that are more, more related to like yours yeah more structures basically exactly and you lay down to do it for some reason And so
0: is it Just, like that bariatric stuff that you have to drink so that it glows yeah when they oh my yeah, kind of
1: like a barium barium liquid. okay yeah
0: oh my goodness and this was a kid who didn't keep stuff down did he vomit on the yes. radiologist
1: To be honest, I don't remember all that because I was so nervous and Mm -hmm. I was watching for the radiologist and everybody in the room. Like, what are they seeing? What are they seeing? Because you You can kind of just tell. I mean, you just pick up on, "Uh uh-oh, they're seeing something really weird. What are they catching, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty traumatic. They pretty much have to build them on a board so that they stay still and don't move so they can get a good picture. So Mm -hmm. for a little kid, that's a a pretty crazy thing scary. They experience. don't even knock them yeah. out. They're awake. Exactly. Just because it's like, what the heck are they doing? You know, and it's <sighs> a scary environment too.
0: But you were allowed to be in the room with him. So that was
1: good. Yes. Yes. For and sure. they were very nice and comforting through that whole thing. It was just one of those things where you're just blindsided.
0: <laughs> it sounds like he has a very complicated heart defect. It's amazing that they found out that he has something by looking in his throat. Usually when you're thinking about Mm -hmm. the heart, you're not thinking about the esophagus. So can you tell us a little bit more about what his actual diagnosis was and what it looks like?
1: Yeah, so he has a vascular ring and his type of vascular ring is a right aortic arch with an aberrant left subclavian artery and a comaral diverticulum. And it's kind of a different type of heart defect because it doesn't affect his function of his heart. Mm -hmm. It's mostly affecting the structure and everything anatomically around it. And the reason they were able to diagnose by looking down his throat is because the part of his aorta was wrapping around his esophagus. So his esophagus was just super narrow and pinched off. And it's really crazy when you see imaging of what his looked like and you compare it to a normal child and you think oh my goodness i wonder he couldn't swallow because yeah. he had that part of his aorta blocking everything off you know it's a little bit different and tricky to explain to people just because it's not your typical type of heart defect and it affected so many other anatomical structures
0: right so when you think about the aorta most of us like me You might hear about a coarctation of the aorta or something like that. The aorta is really super important since that's the vessel that sends blood to the entire body. So to think of it actually wrapping around someplace where it's not supposed to be is really hard to envision. But even harder for me right now is thinking, okay, how are they going to unwrap it around that esophagus? What do they do?
1: Yeah, so basic vascular ring surgeries are actually not very complicated procedures. They usually just clip the ring and then pin it back. However, as soon as my son was diagnosed, I jumped in a lot of different groups with that specific defect Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be as knowledgeable as I could so that I could best help him. And I started reading medical journal upon medical journal upon medical journal And found out that a lot of people, when they do fix a vascular ring this way, scar tissue can grow back. That spot that he had that was called a comoral diverticulum is actually like an aneurysm. And Mm -hmm. it can grow and it can eventually rupture and it can cause a lot of issues pushing on the esophagus and the trachea if it's not repaired as well. So his first surgery, we actually did just go to our local children's hospital. And had a basic vascular ring repair because the local cardiothoracic surgeon reassured us that that's pretty much standard procedure and that's all he would recommend us doing. And not having entered any kind of crazy medical world prior to this, we just kind of trusted all that a hundred percent. And I think he was a really good cardiothoracic surgeon He just didn't do a lot of vascular rings. And upon research, like I had mentioned, when my son continued to have issues after his first surgery, I realized that we were going to need to figure out something else to help him because not long after he had his surgery, every single problem we were having prior returned. And I don't know that it ever even disappeared for the most part, to be honest, so It was just kind of a long journey that we went through the whole heart surgery thing with expectations of he's going to have his heart surgery and everything's going to go normal. Even though that's very unrealistic, that's kind of, as a parent, what you're hoping for, you know, you're going to have your child fixed. And I was hoping my son was going to be able to eat good and that he would breathe well and everything would just be fine, especially where they said his defect didn't mess with anything function-wise with his heart. So I thought, we're going to be fine. He's going to get it fixed and everything will be back to normal. But it just wasn't. So that's when we actually sought out a whole different surgeon across the country from us. And he was actually the author of a lot of medical journals that I had read with vascular rings. And I was sitting in college one night and my head was just swimming with worry about my son and what I was going to do to help him. And I was reading a medical journal and came across this specific surgeon's email address. And I wrote him an email begging him for help. And he responded like within an hour miraculously. Wow.
0: <laughs> wow. And that was
1: the start of us going across the country to see a more experienced cardiothoracic surgeon with this type of defect.
2: Please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at Hearttoheartwithanna dot com. That's Anna at Hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Carla, before the break, we were just learning about this roller coaster ride that you are having to take with getting your son's diagnosis to begin with, which was something that you never expected. Only to have him have heart surgery. And I neglected to ask you, was that an open heart surgery since it was on the aorta? Or were they able to do that with a cath? So they actually did that
1: via thoracotomy. thoracotomy. That's just the okay. Yeah, that's the right spot that they are able to access everything the easiest. So that's so, pretty typical for vascular ring r- repair is a thoracotomy incision.
0: Okay, so for those Listeners who may not know what a thoracotomy incision is. It's a smaller incision. It's not a midline incision, right? And where it's closer to the underarm than it is.
1: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it kind of wraps around your back. And it even though it's a smaller incision, they say it's really, really painful because it's right by your lungs. Yeah. And it's just a really sore type of incision to heal from, I guess. And you have to be careful. You don't pick them up under their arms and that kind of thing because that pulls on that muscle. So,
0: okay. So as if it's not bad enough that he's having this surgery, he had it and didn't seem any better, but lucky him. And again, is so lucky because he had a mommy who was doing everything that she could found this other surgeon across the country and tell us what happened after you received the email from him. Well, I was shocked,
1: to be mm-hmm. honest,
0: because just
1: trying to communicate with in-state surgeons and doctors was way more difficult than that. So I kind of took it as a blessing that mm-hmm. I reached out to this surgeon that I had read so much about. I mean, he was the author of so many medical journals that I had read And I just was kind of in shock, like, oh my gosh, he wrote me right back. To be honest, I didn't even expect a response. I thought it was going to kind of be just an empty road. Yeah, but you had to try. Yes, but I thought, I'm going to try. I'm going to get it all written down. And, you know, writing is healing. So sometimes Mm -hmm. if I get my worries out, it's like, oh, I feel a little better now. It just kind of lets them leave your body. So in a way, I was kind of doing that too. and. It worked out even better because he did respond and he did get right back to me. And we just went from there and ordered all the testing that he needed done to look at my son and evaluate whether or not he thought an additional surgery would be helpful and help resolve some of my son's residual symptoms. And after all the testing was sent over to him and we gathered all his medical files to give to that new surgeon across the country. He did a phone appointment basically with us, and we got his surgery scheduled because we felt good about the surgeon and basically what he talked about with us. And it was a pretty long surgery as far as being away from home. You got to stay after your child has surgery. You need to stay in that area for quite some time to make sure that they're healing well and everything, and they can't travel right after. So we ended up staying at a Ronald McDonald house close to that children's hospital for about a month while we were going through my son's surgery. And that was a really good experience to be able to stay someplace and not have to foot this enormous bill for taking your right. child yeah. across the country like that.
0: Now, did you have family in this other location or anybody to help no. you? Nope. Wow. Luckily I had insurance that mm-hmm. covered
1: out-of-state providers well as long as they were in network and this surgeon happened to be in network so I lucked out there yeah but without Ronald McDonald House it would have been very very difficult because staying anywhere for a month is hard I didn't hardly leave my son's side I think my husband finally kicked me out to shower a couple of times <laughs> but <laughs> I would much stayed in the room the entire time but I mean it's very hard for two parents to be able to sleep in a small hospital room.
0: And Oh, yeah. And your husband Ronald was McDermott able to household. be there the entire time? He was.
1: He didn't wow. know how much time he would end up taking off. But mm-hmm. I think he just knew that I needed him and my son needed him. And luckily, his work was very flexible and let him take off that time to make sure everything was okay after that. And we had a lot of family members that stepped up and watched our dog. And um, we had grandparents come and visit at the place we had my son's second surgery. So we had a lot of really good support, even though nobody lived there that we knew family-wise.
0: Wow. Okay. So this is quite a journey. So now you've traveled across the country. I am assuming from what you've said, so let me know if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that once you reached out to this other surgeon... And he started ordering these other tests that the original set of doctors that you worked with were open to him consulting and then doing the second surgery. Is that right? That they were able to work cooperatively with one another? Well, to be honest, I don't know. I didn't
1: didn't 100% get that feeling from the first surgeon to be 100% candid. When I reached out to the surgeon that did the initial first surgery, when my son had residual problems and I asked him specifically, do you think it's possible that maybe he had scar tissue reform or something happened with his repair to make it so that it didn't work as it should have? And he just told me that that would be unheard of. Like, no, no. Mm-hmm. And it was very frustrating because I'm like, well, something's going on. Yeah, And it was stressful because he basically said, well, this is now not a heart issue anymore. We ended up seeing an aerodigestive team Mm -hmm. and they looked into my son a little bit more in depth and did the triple scope where a pulmonologist, an ENT, And a GI doctor all worked together on looking at my son and diagnosing basically what's going on internally. Wow. And that was stressful just because it's hard to pinpoint, okay, what is causing what? And what kind of doctor should I be seeing for which? And how do we remedy all these issues, you know?
0: So he was still projectile vomiting. He still wasn't able mm -hmm. to keep food down. No. And we had tons of nights where, He would eat something and I don't know if
1: it was getting stuck or what, but we would end up driving all the way down to our children's hospital, which is like an hour away and bringing him in because we were just terrified. We're like, something is still Uh, not right. Right. And it's just heartbreaking to see that fear in your child's eyes, you know, simple things like eating and breathing and it's like, oh my gosh, you take those things for granted all the time.
0: Exactly. Okay, so even though the one surgeon passed you off to this whole new team, it sounds like nobody really wanted to take responsibility for what was going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there was one of the specialists within that aerodigestive team really cheered me on to basically seeking someone out, Mm -hmm. out of state,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and My son's pediatrician was amazing too. She was really, really supportive. But as a mom, when you're pushing to take your child across the country and seek out the surgeon that your in-state surgeon says wants to do a surgery that's unnecessary, it's a very scary thing because it's like, oh my gosh, am I losing my mind? Am I pushing for something he doesn't need? Am I being silly? I just really felt strong that I was doing what was needed. I prayed a lot. And I remember there was one night I asked God to please help me figure out if this is what I'm supposed to do because I was just terrified that I was pushing for something that wasn't going to help him or possibly make him worse, you know? Right. And the next day I came across a magazine with a zebra on the cover and it was just really weird because I'd never seen it before. And there's that whole saying with zebra diagnoses, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's basically like, when you hear hoof beats behind you, don't expect to see a zebra. Right. And it's basically kind of like, don't seek out rare diagnoses when there aren't any to be sought out. Yeah. And I just felt like that was almost a sign, like, okay, he is a zebra. Like, yeah, that's (laughs) not common, but he is my zebra and I am doing what we need to do. So I felt like that was a go-ahead, a sign that I needed to pursue figuring all this out for him. And we just kind of jumped in and we did it.
0: (laughs) Wow. I mean, I'm kind of holding my breath here, waiting to see what happened next, even though I kind of already know (laughs) what happened next. so. You go all the way across the country, you see this other surgeon who was very receptive to you from the get go. And he took a look at Finnegan. He took a look at all the results of the testing that you had done before he even came to his clinic. And then what happened?
1: Yeah. So he just basically said, I think we're good to proceed. I think this will be really helpful for him. And we scheduled the surgery and He went in and had his operation and I just felt like things went so much smoother the second time around. Like it was just what should have happened all along. I really had wished that as a mom kind of getting thrown into the whole medically fragile community and journey that I would have sought out more well-known specialists in that exact defect from the get-go just so that I would have known And had I done that, we might not have had to have a second surgery because the surgeon probably would have just fixed everything from the start, which would have been really nice. But, I mean, you live and you learn. And as a mom and even a new mom, you kind of just are told to listen to medical professionals. Mm -hmm. And I think for the most part, they try their best to choose what's going to be the best for your child. But sure. I just think now I've learned that. You need to follow your instinct and do your research and seek out specialists in areas that you need help in.
2: Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community.
0: Carly, this has been fascinating. And I'm sure there are other people out there whose children also have this vascular ring and they want to know what to expect. You wrote a book. Can you tell me why you wrote a book that deals with congenital heart defects?
1: Yeah. So I wrote a book. It's called Extra Special Heart. And it's a children's book, it's a picture book. And it just basically talks to kids with heart defects about how even though their hearts were built differently, they have amazing things that they offer the world. I've met so many amazing families with in the heart defect community, and I tried to showcase some of these amazing children's strengths that I've come across and commonalities of just amazing things about each of these kids and put it in a children's book to kind of harvest a good sense of pride amongst these kids and also to raise awareness about heart defects as well as get people without heart defects to be empathetic and understanding and more inclusive.
0: Now, was this book your first book?
1: No, I had written a couple other ones. I've always written a lot of stuff down because I feel like writing is a very healing process. So I just have tons and tons of different files I have saved on my phone. But I had known for a long time that I wanted to do something that related to some of the difficulties my son had gone through. So this was on my bucket list as an author, basically.
0: Because the first two book titles that I read when I read your bio They didn't sound heart-related at all. They sounded like fun children's books.
1: Yeah, so I do have some fun children's books. I have six different ones that I've written. I try to, on various things that I write, find a purpose to Mm -hmm. link it to for the children that I've written it for. Some of them are just silly because I think that's important too. I think Mm -hmm. it's important for kids to have fun and just enjoy But for example, my new book, Bad Habit Rabbit, which is kind of like an Easter tale, it's about a little bunny that has a bad habit and it walks through the steps on how to control a bad habit and what you can do to combat a problem and fulfill a goal or a dream that you have. So I kind of take little things from struggles that I have just as a mother with my sons specifically and turn them into helpful children's books. And it's a wide range of things that I come up with and how I think it will help. But I like to do different stuff with executive function skills and socio-emotional issues. I'm big in promoting empathy and kindness and love and acceptance. I think all those things are super important for children to see in books. Yeah, And I just have a lot of things that I've written that I would like to finish into actual books down the line.
0: Right. Including one on ADHD. Tell me about your experience with that.
1: Well, my son with the heart defect, he has ADHD and it's kind of interesting because in the process of getting him diagnosed, I realized that I also have ADHD. (laughs) Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. I don't have the hyper aspect of it. I'm more the disorganized. I'm very emotional. I take things very personally. So I'm a little bit different than he is, but just in finding his diagnosis, I'm like, oh my gosh, I see so many similarities in some of the problems that I have struggled with myself. Mm -hmm. So in that whole process of getting both of us diagnosed and treating different issues that we've had, I've tried to write down some ideas and different scripts for children's books that I think will be beneficial for kids that have some of the struggles that go along with ADHD.
0: I just love that. I was a special education teacher for several years, and so many of my students, in addition to being deaf or hard of hearing, which was the population I was working with, they also dealt with learning disabilities, and a number of them had ADHD, and that's its own special kind of problem. It's very unique. Sure. And you really do have to have people who are compassionate and understanding about difficulties with impulse control and the lack of attention. It's not that they Don't want to pay attention. It's just that it's so hard for them to focus for a certain length of time without a little bit of help. But with some help, they can do just fine. And a lot of my students who had ADHD were some of the most creative students I had. Yes, I think it's all about finding what you're strong at. And
1: I hope down the line to make my book, Extra Special Heart, into a series and do Mm -hmm. one that's for either ADHD or just basically neuro type brain issues and call it my extra special brain. I'm actually working on one like that right now too,
2: because I think
1: it's so important to understand that even if you are different in certain ways, there's a reason you're that way. And something that makes you different is actually a huge strength if you learn how to use it in a good way. So. I think these books are very important to show kids that differences are not a negative thing.
0: Right. Oh, I just love that. Now, I know you're a member of the Heart Community Collection, and I was so happy to see that you had joined us. Can you tell my listeners where they can buy your books? Yes,
1: all the links are listed on the Heart Community Collection. So. I would love it if you go there. It will take you to Amazon. You can buy them on Barnes & Noble and Walmart. If you just search the titles, they should be able to be bought various bookstores online.
0: And for those of you who have not seen the Heart Community Collection, and I know it's a lot of letters to type out, but I promise you it will be worth it. Jenny Muscatel is our webmaster, and she does an amazing job. Every single author who is part of our collective has his or her own page. And on the page, Jenny lists all the different social media outlets for them and also where their books can be bought. And in my show notes, which is the description of this show, I will also share links there. So it should be super easy for you to find Carly's books because I know everybody's going to want to buy them after they hear the show. Right, Carly? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that would be awesome. Awesome. Yes. Well, we want our children to feel empowered. And this sounds like the kind of book that would empower a heart warrior.
1: Yes. I think I've had a lot of good feedback from families with kids with heart defects. And I feel like it's been a really good healing book for a heart warrior to read and even for them to share with their siblings. So they kind of understand a little bit more about how they can help their heart warrior sibling too.
0: I love it. Well, before we conclude the program, Carly, what advice do you have for parents who maybe want to create stories for their children? I think I would just tell them that they should go for it.
1: And if they have the passion to drive them to create, they should definitely use it and not let it go to wait. And I would tell them not to wait till the time is right because it might never be. (laughs) Just jump in with both feet write down ideas as you get them in your head and I feel like if you're writing down things that are helping your own kids I'm sure that if you made those into actual books it would really help others as well so I think it's amazing if they can share things that are helpful to their families with the world
0: and how exciting is it for a child to see himself or herself in a book right It's so exciting. My son with the heart defect, there's
1: a picture of him at the beginning, talks a little bit about his specific defect and why I wrote the book. And he feels really proud. He feels like a true hero. So it's really cool for him. And I think it's really relatable, too, for kids with different disabilities to see themselves as heroes within a book. You know.
0: Right. And we can't have too many of them, can we? I know some people think, oh, why would I want to do that? It's already been done. But you'll have your own take. You'll have your own spin. And the more books our heart warriors see, more books the heart parents see, and the siblings of the heart warriors, the more it kind of validates their experience. And it gives them more variety of what to read, but they're still reading about how they can be empowered or how they can overcome. Wouldn't you say, Carly. Yes, definitely. I think you relate to different books so much
1: differently. So Mm -hmm. your book might be the missing piece for somebody out there, which is a really cool thing to think about.
0: Yeah. And sometimes people have to see something multiple times in a variety of ways before they finally have that aha moment.
1: Yes, for sure. I agree completely.
0: Carly, this has been such a delightful program. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a wonderful experience to meet with you, Anna. I'm so happy to hear you say that. That's wonderful. Well, friends, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon or really anytime. It's a podcast. There are over 300 episodes available. Until then, please visit us at heartsunitetheglobe.org. And remember, my friends, you are not alone.
2: Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have become inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.